This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Chad, you want to tell us about your experience? Yeah, I, I, I go a little bit of what Jimmy said. Rick grabbed us both uh, prior to the event, and he said, at some point tonight, this is going to hit you guys, and you're going to realize what of a big deal it is. And honestly, it really hit me when I saw my kids walk out on stage. I was like, whew, oh boy. And now I knew it was going to go one way or the other. Is it going to go reasonably well or the wheels were going to come off of it at that point? And, and thankfully they did a great job and Brooke did an amazing job. And to be able to stand up there and, and talk to a, a room of your peers and you know speak from the heart like what Jimmy did and what I was able to do and Donnie, um, it's just an honor. It's an honor to have that court. Um, it's an honor to be in this situation. Um, you know, I'm just proud to be here and be able to do it with Jimmy. Where were you guys at? So I'll set the stage and Jack can jump in. 04, we lose the championship to Kurt Busch by a six, spot. Six points. The spot basically on track. I guess two spots on track. Depending mm-hmm. on the old point system and how that played out. Yeah. Um, 05, um, we're in the championship running again, racing Tony Stewart for the championship. We have an issue with the right retire and a crash. And uh, Tony Stewart has a pretty poor night for his standards which left us in this headspace of like we had a shot at it. So in our eyes, we had two opportunities slip away and you just never know how many looks you're gonna get at the championship. So that, that frustration of being so close was really the foundation of the frustration and anger. And this was, I don't know, maybe the week after Homestead and we were just angry and mad and both of us had spoken to Rick and like evidently acted like a, a baby or a kid and it, Led Rick to that uh, to the idea for that meeting, and he called us in. And then, what do you mean that? What what changed? What did you guys talk some more? Did you just walk out of there and felt good? I, I would say that after Rick truly demanded us to eat cookies and to drink <laughs> the milk, because we okay, fine, we break the cookies. Like, no, eat the cookie. Will you take a bite? I'm gonna take a bigger bite. Now drink the milk. Oh boy, this is or drink <laughs> some lime juice. Exactly what this is. And so Rick keeps pushing us to get into the experience and then gives us both a chance to, to kind of air what's on our minds. And then we honestly got into a, a real conversation in, in many ways. And no joke, we left that meeting and changed our course in how we worked the way Chad and I don't want to speak for you, but there, and I'll just do this because I keep taking the microphone right now, but we, we, we went in a different direction. 
and then 06 takes place, we come out of the gate and win Daytona 500, win our first championship, win the next championship, on and on and on. So um, I think there was a lot of weight in that meeting that we had. Yeah, there was. It was, it was a really tough time for me. Um, <clears throat> we had had such a, a steep trajectory and really thought that we should have won the championship by then. I mean, we had a very good opportunity to win the championship in 2002, our very first year. That's right. And when, when I sat in that meeting, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be frank, and I'll tell you, I walked out of that meeting and I remember vividly, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed at the fact that Mr. Hendrick had to sit us down, two grown men, with the opportunity of a lifetime, and we were sitting there just letting it go away. And at that point, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to do, I'm going to take the advice of a man who has mentored us and give us an opportunity and change the structure of the 48 team. And we worked diligently um, that whole off season of the 2005-2006 year. Uh, we, we worked on giving the engineers more, more skin in the game. We worked on putting more emphasis on the engineers, on the car chief, Ron Malik, giving everybody a little bit more um, tangible interest in the team as opposed to me doing it all. I was building the shocks, I was setting up the cars, I was putting the bodies on the cars, I was uh, doing it all prior to that and we had had a tremendous amount of success yeah. um, but it was very selfish, very selfish for me to go through that and I was embarrassed after I sat there with Mr. Hendrick and I came out and I vowed that I was going to do it differently and trust me I made a lot of mistakes after that right but that did set the foundation of where we were going to be in the future. It's interesting you think you were selfish because from my standpoint, I thought you were overworked. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I guess there's a combination of both, but I just thought his, he had the shortest fuse. He was so overworked. He was covering so much territory. And then his, uh, we got comfortable delegating to different folks, empowering more people. I think it gave him a, a much wider bandwidth yeah. to really run and operate the team on a different level, and then the championships just started coming. Last question. How do you each look at the legacy didn't you ask me that earlier? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to answer that question because that's on, on you. You know, we, I don't think we can, we can, maybe you can, I can't. How's that? I can't tell you what the legacy of the 48 is. I can't. I think that from my perspective, that's something that you all will put out there and write about because that's what's going to be comfortable for you. I can't tell you that this is what we did and that needs to be the legacy. You have to determine that. Yeah, I agree. I'm trying to remember. There's another question that used to be asked all the time, and I had a similar answer, but I, I would be struggling to give an answer, honestly, because it's, it's tough to talk about yourself in that respect. Jerry Jordan kicked the tires by To me, for you, for uh, 2002, your rookie year, uh, it was pouring down rain at Texas Motor Speedway. Jeff Gordon comes up to your motor coach. There's fans lined off on the ball in the fence. He gets you out in the rain to sign all these people's autographs. As a rookie, what was going through your mind is, 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 you know, you just got into this in, in the cup and you're out here in the rain with Jeff Gordon and you stayed there until every single fan got that on. Do you, do, you do you remember that moment? And I was a big jerk at the end of my career. I <laughs> doing anything close to that. Um, <laughs> it also makes me think I drove, it had to be like 98, 99, I drove a curb Genian car, Bush car, at, uh, at Homestead. <clears throat> Brad Knopf Singer drove the car, and there was only a Brad Knopf Singer suit. And I wore that thing with pride. 
And people would say, hey, Brad, come sign for me. And I'd run over and sign. <laughs> Did you say to Brad or Jimmy? Jimmy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but they called me Brad, and I'd run over. I'm like, man, I'm a NASCAR. I'm signing autographs. Um, you know, Jeff, Jeff was uh, obviously a, a great mentor for me and guided me in, in so many different ways, personally, professionally. And I do remember that day um, and just having the thought of, um, I'm in the big time, like, this is, I used to be the guy on the other side of the fence watching this. Um, I wasn't necessarily an autograph chaser, but as I mentioned in my speech, I was everywhere all the time just trying to pass out business cards, and I remember going to events and seeing, watching Dale Earnhardt Sr. walk in, and Rusty Wallace, Jeff Gordon, Mark Martin, just these guys, and the fans just all over them, you know, and, and so to be in those moments, especially in those early days, it was a big aha moment. Chad, for you, you, you mentioned Tony winning the, the championship the, you know, right before y'all went on your run. He also won the championship right at the bookend of it. Yeah. That year, what was it like coming off of that five-year run? You know, it was interesting. Is Tony came up to me that day in Homestead um, after we didn't win, you know, and the, the streak was broken. And he grabbed me, which was really interesting because, you know, obviously you guys understand the celebration that happens and, you know, Tony's out there taking photos and they're, they're going through inspection with the car and, and he came back and he was, was hanging out with his guys for a little bit and he grabbed me and, he, and Tony's pretty gruff, as you know, right? Like, you know, he kind of grabbed me by the collar and he said, hey, I want you to understand something. You will never understand how important what you guys have done is until the day that you're not a crew chief anymore. And truer words were never spoken because I, I didn't get it. At that point right there, I was so dejected and so disappointed. Um, but Tony, uh, Tony's a, a unique character. Like he doesn't offer words of encouragement unless he kind of like really likes you, right? Means it. Yeah. And also means it. It means yeah. it. And, and he was basically saying like, look man, you guys have done something that's really special and you need to make sure you understand that. And, and he knew at that point that I had no idea, had no idea. Um, and I always respected him for that. John. John Newby, NBC Sports. So when future fans go and look at your career, apart from all the success on the track, what do you want them to have as a K-20? Is it ingenuity, tenacity, respect? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Can I go? Yes. <clears throat> First, I want, I want people to think, if I'm going to talk on Jimmy's behalf, he's the best race car driver that I've ever seen. Um, he, he sometimes doesn't qualify worth a damn. Oh, you're um, being very generous. <laughs> sometimes doesn't, doesn't practice worth a damn. But if, when you put him into a race, if, if you want to see somebody that's got race craft, he's, he's the man that has it. He, he sees it globally. He understands what's happening with the environment. He understands what's happening with the racetrack. He knows how to pass the car in front of him. He, he has been... Uh, the pillar and what people today do like if you look at what Jimmy was doing in the 2000s that's when 
know, the Casey Canes and uh, the Kyle Larsons and the guys where they would start to explore outside of what is the racing group. Jimmy was doing that. And he was doing it maybe not always at the extreme, but he was doing that way before anybody else ever was. That's, in my opinion, the race craft of this man is higher and uh, above more than anybody else I've ever seen in this sport. And then for me, hell, I don't know. Just, I don't know. It's, it's tough to talk about yourself, but I, I think that something that stands out, I think that fits for both of us, you know, we come into the hall today based on you know, essentially 19, well, everything spoken about was our time together, those 17 years and, yeah. and uh, us working together, but uh, both of us, very humble beginnings, and fell in love with a sport that we chased and chased hard, and dedicated everything to it. And, you know, it's offered um, a lot to us, it's provided a lot to us, and it's not over. You know, we're both now in completely different capacities and doing different things. And, you know, he's way older than I am, and I'm kind of old, and we're still here doing it. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing to commit to something to love, love, you know, be so passionate about a sport and, and it provides so much to you and you know, so it'd be some more something in that. Perfect. Yeah. Lee? All night long we kept hearing five championships and I mean the seven is remarkable but everybody goes back to the lives, right? The championships. When you hear that time and time again, I mean does, you know, you mentioned It could have been seven in a row. Uh, it could have been seven in a row. It could have been. Could have Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, should have. You know, it's just, you hear that and you hear it from the type of people that were mentioning that. I mean, does, that, does it make it sink in more what that meant? I mean, you guys lived it, but, you know, still that's going to sit up there. Probably will never be broken. You there? Go for it. Can you can you remember the five years and like what went on? Nine years a little bit. I know it's tough. Nine years a little bit. I, you know, Jimmy mentioned it, and not every year I was there Monday morning first thing at seven. Some hours drunk. Only if I could talk you in a stand. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was such. Uh, it was so critical to get going because I don't think people understand the the worst thing that you can have happen to you uh, as a competitor is win a championship if you're concerned about the championship the next season. You are so far set back because everything that you do, everything that you build, everything that you're trying to create to win that current year's championship is taking away from what you're trying to prepare for for the next season. And when you're all the way down to the wire, that's what your full focus is. And everybody else in the industry, whether it be 40, 36, 43 cars, those other competitors are focusing on next year. And what always happened to me is I would, I would get a huge state of panic right after we won a championship being like, we have got to get to work. We are behind, we are months behind. And we have got to make sure that we get going quickly and we've got to make sure we've got ourselves in a position to get out there, win a race, get ourselves to make sure that we're solidified into the, the, the championship by winning a race or whatever it may have been at that point, depending upon the, the points format. That, that's the way that I lived. I think I mentioned it in one of the, the deals. I, and Jimmy knows this better than anybody, I was, I was terrified. I was terrified for the majority of my career to lose the 48 team. I was scared to death that if I didn't perform, that the 48 team would go to somebody else and it wouldn't be mine. I think that was in the 05 Milk and Cookies yeah. discussion. Yeah. Certainly. So 
Jimmy always called that vintage 48. We, uh, the longer the race, the more tricky the circumstances. Um, and you know, it wasn't, wasn't every weekend and every year, and I think later in our career, just pressure in many ways um, affected that quality we had. But in our sweet spot, I mean, we just were never rattled. We just, okay, we'll just dig in. Sometimes we come back and win. I mean, I'd crash and qualify all the time, or just qualify terribly, and you know, second pit stop or leading the race and lead the most laps and spring champagne. You know, it was just interesting <laughs> when we were in that flow. Like it was, it was just something so special. Can you break Hale's record this year? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I want to believe, but if if it doesn't happen, that that's not why I'm back out on track. Um, I'm out there because I just want to race. I just, I truly want to race and be out there. Um, I think we're more strategic in my choice in events this year where strengths will exist for our team and our manufacturer. And I'm running a lot of mile and a half, so I'm going to Kansas twice. Much more intentional in that. Last year we were focused on trying to help our road course program. And then with the family tragedy, we just put everything on jack stands and, and um, just took some time off. So. Um, who knows? Be be a hell of a thing if we were able to win, but um, it's it's not why I'm out there to chase that record. I should say I'm out there to win, absolutely. Um, but to chase the record is is not why I'm back out there. Yeah, Barry. Yeah. Uh, Barry, Piedmont Broadcasting Corporation. Jimmy, um, I had a chance to interview Jeff Gordon his final year in the Bush Grand National Series, and he talked about the next year driving with Mr. Hendrick, new box box. He said, we want to have a good showing, but we don't expect to set the world on fire. Obviously, that was an understatement. So what was your perspective going into it? Obviously, you did some great things, but what did you envision at that point when you started in the Cup Series? I think I probably had very similar messaging. And then as 2002 season started, I remembered the three races that I ran in 01 in Cup. And I never finished on the lead lap. I think I crashed in two of the three. And I think my best finish was, best result was in the, deep in the 20s. And I thought, man, this just isn't a step up from Saturday to Sunday. You know, it's, it's five or more steps up. And so I, I was truly concerned and had great fear as we started the, my first full-time season. Thankfully, Chad built a fast car because we wouldn't have made a Daytona 500. I made a mistake in our qualifier, qualifying race itself, and we would have gone home. And then in the race, I'm not sure I made it to the halfway point. It was wrecked out. But um, no, we finished in the top ten. First race? Yep. We crashed six times and finished in the top ten. I just remember the crashing. <laughs> <laughs> just remember a lot of crashing. Yep, that's true. Okay. Um, but I'll never forget we raced Atlanta early in the season, and all day long I could see the leader. I just ran in a good spot. Nothing overly flashy, but just a rock-solid performance. And uh, at that point, I, I felt like you know, things, things were going to be okay. 
Um, I didn't expect to win a handful of weeks later in, in California, and that just set things you know, off its axis. But um, you just never know. And it's just such a big step from Saturday to Sunday. And there's so many variables that truly come into play to have a driver crew chief for a team succeed. And um, looking back, it's easy now to kind of plot all that. But at the time, you know, it certainly wasn't easy. Zach. Zach Sternhill, NASCAR.com. Chat for you. You mentioned Brock Malik earlier. Um, yeah. I think guys like uh, Cliff Daniels and uh, Greg Ives. <coughs> People on the 48 team outside of YouTube that helped you guys find the success. Who were some of the guys who stood out and why were they so difficult? I know every, I know every hand that goes on, on the race car makes a difference, but who, who stands out and why were they so difficult to yeah, it was easy to single out Ron um, because he, you know, Ron and Jimmy worked together before I ever worked with Ron. And Ron wasn't the car chief when I started in the 48 team. Jason Burdett was, who was your crew chief yeah. <clears throat> for the 2024 20, season. So um, we, we had gotten through, and I think we went the whole season with Burdett, and then uh, I wanted to make the change to Ron Malik. So Ron's an easy one to pick because he, he was tireless in the efforts that he put into it. There's a tremendous amount of names, and like I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to go through and start naming names because there's just too many. Um, but there's so many guys. That, that's probably one of the things I'm proudest of right now is as I walk through the garage, uh, there's so many crew chiefs and so many engineers and so many people that are mechanics and, you know, and, and in pretty influential roles that were on the 48 team at some point in time. And that's really neat. That's that's really cool to think that, you know, one, we, we had that type of influence that people wanted to hire these guys and gals, and, and two, that maybe we actually did know what we were doing, we were able to coach these guys into leadership type roles. Um, that's something I'm really proud of. Kelly Crandall. found out in the elevator coming up. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so I, I just didn't know. I, I, the, the people that were on the ballot, there's so many great, talented people, people that contributed to the sport, that if I didn't go in, it wasn't a big deal. But what I had really like set my mind on is I wanted to be there for Jimmy. Uh, when they called his name, I wanted to be there to give him a hug and you know tell him I love him and how proud I was of him. So I, I was really in a good spot no matter what happened. And then after it happened, obviously, you know, it's a flush of emotions and, you know, you, you, you kind of get warm and you're just like, man, this is kind of a big deal. But then thankfully, shortly thereafter, you're just racing again. Like, we're racing. We're doing what it is that we do. We're going to the racetrack every single week. And it didn't really start hitting me until, honestly, last week. And last week, I started to get, I guess you guys started putting banners up on uh, around the hall. And I was starting getting snapshots from so many people with the banners of like, hey, just passing your, your banner, you know, hey, just look at this. Oh, you're looking for my car today because I just parked on such and such street, you know. 
And then I started getting text messages from people from way in the past. And that's when it really started to kind of kick in uh, with me. And then today, obviously, to, to see all the folks out there. One of the coolest things, quite honestly, was I was laying in bed uh, with Brooke. And I'm going through emails and stuff, you know, because it's been a bit of a flurry this week. And I got an email from Roger Penske. And what a cool deal to get an email from Roger Penske, like the captain, right? You know, and he's, he's talking about leadership and dedication and, you know, the way that we conducted and did our business and, and all of those things. And I'm like, wow, that kind of hits home. And that's what we wanted to be. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to try to be what everybody else wanted to be. And, you know, that's, that's what Pride Providence was. For both of you, because you both touched on It was easy sitting in the audience, watching my family, and just having great pride for uh, the strength Shane had to be there, see my girls up there. Um, and then I walked up and we rehearsed that whole, you know, you, we all, did, yeah, everybody rehearses you up and see your family, escort them off. And then when I turned around, there was a collision of pride and I hate public speaking, they hit me all at once. <laughs> now I gotta read for eight and a half minutes. God, I hope I get this right. I hate public speaking. Hate it, hate it, hate it. So, uh, took a couple deep breaths, and then uh, I think I had my, my, I'm not sure how it looked, but I had my most comfortable experience up there, and um, I didn't feel like I flubbed anything or messed anything up, and I guess preparation, which this guy's always told me, um, Preparation gives you confidence, and uh, I, I was prepared for my speech for the first time in my, my career, standing at the podium, and I think it, it played through. Did I answer your question? I don't feel like I did. You did great. You did great. That was great. That was great. You did great. Thanks. <laughs> Am I supposed to answer something? If you want to. Oh. I'm not going to tell you you have to. You're all no, it was good. I had a good time. It was good. I, I enjoyed it. I, I know that I screwed it up and I flubbed it up and almost said a couple curse words and things of that nature, but uh, I really enjoyed it tonight. It was anytime, I think I mentioned earlier, you can have um, such a huge room of people that you respect, um, whether it be from you folks in here to the people that we compete with to the people that own the, uh, the sanctioning body that we race within, and you're able to talk and hold court with them. It's pretty awesome. All right, two more. Peter Strong. Peter Strong at TS3 Sports. You both have some experience with the next-gen car. What would the finish for a team have looked like if you guys had to deal, tackle the next-gen car? We'd have whipped their ass. <laughs> <laughs> next question. Next question. <laughs> We're going to end with my man in the middle here. Kevin from Rosie, uh, Stock Car Facts TV. Uh, two questions for you, Jimmy. Question for you, Chad. Totally different besides the spectrum. I'm gonna say this as nice as I can, Jimmy. Leading into Cup Series, get what two or three ASA wins. Two, one, yeah. One Xfinity win. Yep. I mean, I know Jeff Porter came to you, approached you, but what kind of salesman are you to come in and win races for you? Look what I did over here. I think I have a story that will be helpful. But before the story, I will. Um, 
I will say that uh, I thought much of the same. And certainly once I had the contract signed with, with Hendrick, I was, uh, I was annoyed by, granted we didn't have social media then, but there certainly was you know, an opinion of what the hell is Jeff Gordon and Rick Hendrick thinking. And I've always operated best with the chip on my shoulder and, and um, you know, under pressure and, and a variety of those scenarios. So uh, it served me well and played out, played out great. But um, I, through a passing out all those business cards and being as great inside of Chevrolet as I was, there was just great momentum and my diligence in showing up, shaking hands, having conversations with people was, was serving me very well. And I got to a point where we were losing Altel. They were going to sponsor Ryan Newman. And the Herzogs came to me and said, look, you, we're not, we can't run next year without a sponsor. you got to figure something out. So I, I went out and started shopping around. Chip Ganassi was starting his cup program. And he was interested in me taking over the, or driving the singular 01 car. And I had some good conversations going on with Hendrick at this point in time. I had a letter of intent from Hendrick. Chip comes in to, uh, to Charlotte. We sit down at a meeting. Um, and we had some expectations that I'd maybe sign the contract on the spot. I was like, I'm not comfortable with that. I said, all right, I'm going to head back to Pittsburgh. So he leaves. I, I commit this meeting. I, I think that I've just missed an opportunity to legitimate cup contract. Um, but I've got this letter of intent from Hendrick. You know, we're like two years out from when I would race, but you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. So I leave and I call Alan Miller, who I recognize tonight, and I walk through this scenario and I explain to him that I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty concerned. Probably just had a cup opportunity with, with Chip go away, and he stops me and says, "No, no, no. You were just offered a legitimate contract. Let me work on the Hendrick side." I'm like, "Wait a second." You're going to spin this in a way? See, I'm going to spin this in a way. When four days later, I had an actual contract from Hendrick Motorsports because I had a Ganassi contract offered to me. Although he put it back in his briefcase and got on his airplane and flew away, um, <laughs> technically speaking, I had a contract offered to me. And so uh, there was just an outside force and many elements that were swirling. That, that take place. And I'm not sure that element still exists today for drivers and how they end up in a seat. But, um, you know, I, my parents could only afford dirt bikes. And then from that point forward, there was this other thing that was going on around me. And uh, it connected me to so many great people, people that believed in me. I think my personality and who I am carried through and people continued to uh, believe in me and, and give me the nod. And it just, it just snowballed all the way to where it has. So um, I'm not sure I totally answer the question, but there was, there was that, that thing going on. That would have been interesting when Chip went to Dodge for the year or two after. Yeah. And then, Chad, for you, maybe to bring it full circle from the Chicago area, Mark was a big part of your Yeah. What are yeah. your thoughts on? Funny, Jimmy won a race there and I never did. <laughs> <laughs> What are your thoughts on uh, the news about Rocker? About it closing down? You know, it's, it's, it's sad because I think that um, short track racing is the core of our, our sport. Um, I know, obviously, when you get to the Cup Series, um, you know, it's, it's marketing and it's the show and, and we all understand it's still competition, don't get me wrong, but there's so, so much 
so much higher levels than, than what you have at the grassroots side of motorsport. Um, but it's it's what happens, you know, it happens across the United States and it's, it's a different era. Um, one of the things that, that I hope that I can help kind of contribute to, and I think Kyle Larson does a really good job of this right now, is is bringing that back into life. You know, what is the short track racing? What is the core of motorsport? And that's, it's sad to see Rockford Speedway go. I'm really disappointed because when we were up there in Chicago racing last year, I wanted to scoot over there and, uh, and watch the race that they had going on Saturday night. But unfortunately the nine car crashed and it was raining like cats and dogs and it was just a disaster. So I couldn't get away from Chicago to make it over to Rockford Speedway. Um, so I never got to see that place again. And, you know, it was a pretty neat place. A lot of legends raced at that racetrack.